0: In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. After the great feast of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon the apostles, and the establishment of the apostolic preaching, which inaugurates the history of the faith of the Church, we came last Sunday, the first Sunday after Pentecost, to the chief and brightest and sweetest fruit of the outpouring of the Spirit, and that is the Feast of All Saints, the celebration of human holiness in response to the promptings of the Holy Spirit, bringing us to the love of Jesus Christ and the Father. And this Sunday, each particular people's celebrates the holiness that is peculiar unto themselves. With the rise of the nation-state since the 17th and 18th centuries, this has meant national saints, Serbians and Bulgarians and Romanians and Albanians and so on and so forth. But uh, we, in our tradition, are celebrating always the feast of the saints, all saints of the Holy Mountain Athos. And all the Greek speaking peoples, and as far as I know, the peoples of the Middle East celebrate the same, possibly because the adventure of nation states has been such a dicey experience for most of them. Mount Athos confronts us, we who live in the world, whether we are monks or lay folk. Mount Athos confronts us with that maximalism of the gospel which inspires and excites men and women. At the core of this excitement of the gospel is always the love of Jesus Christ. And in consequence of love, you know, you and I are capable of anything. The man on the radio is crooning that he will climb the highest mountain and swim the widest ocean, and ford the deepest river, and undergo all manner of problems for his sweetie pie. But uh, we are dealing with something a lot more exalted than that, although love is love. And the Holy Fathers of the Church always saw our capacity for human love as a proper, as an appropriate analogy, for our relationship with the Lord God. I had a cousin, very much older than me, 35 years older than me, and uh, I remember about her, it was said that when she was young, she fell deeply in love with a man who lived in Boston. My family was rather suspicious of men who lived in Boston, and did not particularly approve of this interest. And I remember my aunt, her mother, reminiscing about this event, which had happened decades before my birth. Oh yes, she said, your cousin used to go into Boston, even in the rain and the snow, and she used to stand on a certain street corner, and there she would wait, and this guy that she was in love with sometimes kept her waiting under those circumstances for a long time. And she got soaked, or she'd get frozen, or she'd come home with a cold or the flu or something. What was she thinking of? Well, of course, she wasn't thinking of anything. She wasn't there because she'd thought about it. She was there because she was in love. And when we are in love, we can do things that to other people seem somewhat eccentric. Eccentric. In Mount Athos, we find men living today whose lives, from the point of view of this world, might be a tad eccentric. In fact, most monks and nuns may seem a little eccentric to people who don't know anything about the Church. Whatever brought them to monasticism rather than to marriage, they had to, at some point, at the very core of their vocation, love the Lord. I don't think, speaking with her later when I was a young adult, that my cousin, who had fallen in love with the Bostonian, knew very much about him, the way girls don't know much about their first sweetie. And I don't think that she thought a lot about it, she just knew that she loved him. And I think for a lot of people that is the way it is with our Savior. We, not be, we may not be able to get PhDs in theology about Jesus Christ or about very much of anything, but we know that we love the Lord, and you know it's enough. I'm quite sure that the men with whom I lived in 76-77, and then saw extensively in 82-83 and have seen since then, I don't think that they had all figured it all out before they became monks. I think that they knew that they loved the Lord, and every time they heard about Him or thought about Him, they had that kind of excitement that one has when one is in the presence of authentic love. And love has its stages. We know about puppy love and infatuations. We know about all kinds of different kinds of love. There's altruistic love, there's the love of parents for children and children for puppies. But uh, the love for the Lord is a growing love. And uh, as we live with any love, in monasticism, in marriage, anything, it becomes more and more sober as time goes on. It is still love, authentic and genuine love, but it isn't experienced exactly the same as when perhaps we first felt it. The athenite monks, all of whom love the Lord, are thinking in terms of the gospel that was read by the deacon this morning. That because of their love for Christ, they decided to crucify their flesh. And therefore to say, as Father Barsanupius in Boston put it, I thought so brilliantly, say goodbye to themselves. Well, of course, we all know that in marriage that's very much part of it too. He and she have to say goodbye to themselves and their own will very largely and suddenly think in terms of someone else. (coughs) So marriage confronts our tendency to be egoistic and selfish. And having children only makes that more intense. But for the monk, it is uh, every day, every hour of every day, every minute of every hour. And always at the heart of his day and of his night is the fact that he loves the Lord. And for that love, he is willing to stand on any street corner, in any temperature, in any weather, for no matter how long it takes. And that is because he is in love. And there's no arguing with love. There's no pretending that it isn't there. And uh, even though our loves may be disapproved of, and we who are monks know that our parents may not have approved at all, our families, our friends may not approve of all of our decision to become monks any more than everyone who gets married finds that his folks and friends approve of his spouse. Maybe they don't. But that doesn't matter. What matters is that one loves. The monk loves at the expense of all other things, including his own creature comforts, his own convenience, his own will, and that's the hard one, Uh, he is willing to set aside his own agendas and plans and interrupt himself constantly for this love. The Gospel is about very little other than that kind of love. And when the Savior called the men whom we uh, heard him calling this morning by the Sea of Galilee, they stood up and they walked away from themselves. They walked away from their careers, their business, their jobs as fishermen. And they went and followed him. That is what every monastic has to do. And when he comes to any little problem in his life, any little crisis in his day, He's got to do just that. He's got to stand up and walk away from it and go with Christ. The same is true by extension of every married person. Every husband and every wife knows that truth. There are times when you just have to stand up from what is preoccupying you and leave it and walk away from it in order to be with Christ. That is certainly true of children with their parents and parents with their kids. And if we are going to truly be educated Christians, that is one of the first and fundamental lessons that we must learn. Christ above all. Christ before all. Christ instead of anything else. That's the kind of thinking, that is the kind of educating of the human heart that is going to spell the survival of the Church in this country. Because there are no guarantees. There have been places that the Church went, Persia, India, where the Church was ultimately destroyed. And uh, there is no guarantee that the Church is going to survive in the United States. One of the most prolific uh, theologians of uh, the 20th century was a man in New York called Alexander Schmemann. He said that he was very pessimistic about the chances for the survival of orthodoxy in the United States, so intense were the pressures on the Church. These uh, pressures do not take the form of, as you know, bloody persecution, yet. Uh, They do not take the form yet of arrest and imprisonment, yet. They are a different form, and that makes them all the more uh, persnickety to deal with. It's very hard to deal with them. But those pressures are very great, and we do not know that the Church is going to survive in this land. But uh, it survives in us. And in this generation, it survives in our minds and in our hearts and in our vocations. That is what the monk is saying to himself all the time. He looks around him and he says, "Hmm, I don't know if my monastery is going to survive another ten years, let alone another hundred years. But that doesn't make any difference. I am here now. This is where my monastery is. And I'm going to live here. And all of this has to do with that core of all vocation in the Church. That core is love. God is love. That is how we define Him. And we know that all of the law boils down to nothing other than love of God in one's neighbor as oneself. May God grant that the witness of that remarkable chain of uh, Holy Ones, saints on Mount Athos, will inspire us with their lives, and will strengthen us with their intercessions for us when the going is rough, as it so frequently is. We glorify them and ask their intercessions. Amen.